From claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth the hunt. EWTN Radio presents The Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter Radio Show on EWTN Radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter. Can you believe it's March already? This year is racing by, isn't it? And for those people in the Midwest, maybe all over the country, we've seen dramatic weather. I know there's a 50-degree swing uh, just this past week, so it's good to uh, get a hint, at least, of the uh, spring uh, weather that's on its way. And baseball is around the corner. And for those people who need to be warmed up a little bit, we've got two topics for you today that should be inspiring. We'll be talking today about a future American saint. I bet you haven't heard of him. It's Venerable William Gagnon. We'll be talking with Dennis Marin from his canonization cause about his incredible life of faith. And later in the show, we'll be talking about Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii. That's an incredible uh, Marian shrine. I've been there myself, uh, built by Blessed Bartolo Longo. And we'll be joined by Dan Cheely, a church historian, to talk to us about that incredible devotion. Later in the program, we'll be talking about They Might Be Saints, Blessed Solanus Casey being the next episode uh, coming up, and that'll air on March 6th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And Solanus Casey, for many people know that name. He was known far and wide as the miracle-working Capuchin from Detroit, and his beatification was attended by 60,000 people at Ford Field in the year 2017. I'll be examining his simple yet remarkable life. And I'm very excited to announce that uh, coming up this week on Saturday at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, we have a brand new episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter. We'll be examining Our Lady of La Salette. This was an incredible one to film. We were high up in the French Alps uh, filming at that shrine, and I traveled there uh, where the Virgin of Sorrows appeared in tears to shepherd children asking them for conversion and penance. Some remarkable prophecies and predictions came out of that one. So you'll definitely want to tune in to Explore with the Miracle Hunter for a brand new debut about Our Lady of La Salette. Later in the show, we're going to be looking at the 365 Days with Mary project like we always do around the world, uh, different uh, places, different times. The Virgin Mary has shown herself or been honored uh, in places with the building of basilicas or the establishment of feast days or the celebration of miracles. And we've got the icon of the Mother of God, Tikvin, from Mount Athos in Greece in the year 1877 as our uh, 365 Days with Mary for today. And later, we're going to be looking at the might-be saint of the day, Blessed Geronimo Carmelo de Savoia. And the question of the week, did St. Paul ever appear in a church-approved vision? In the miracle of the day, this is a new segment we're doing for 2024, uh, the last apparition of the Virgin of the Poor at Beno in Belgium uh, to Mariette Becco happened on today's date, March 2nd, in the year 1933. We'll be telling you more about that one in just a little bit. Let's take a look at the miracle news. We do this every week where we talk about the miracles happening around the world and those things that relate to miracles. And I know a lot of people tuning into this program have an interest in the alleged apparitions happening in Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina to six children, now adults, uh, starting in the year 1981. And uh, this is always uh, in the news or it pops up in the news. And for different reasons now, we have a brand new Hollywood film that's actually underway uh, about the topic of the alleged apparitions at Medjugorje. So uh, a Hollywood producer, Lucas Foster, he's well-known. He has a, a huge body of work uh, to his name. Uh, he includes uh, Ford versus Ferrari, Man on Fire, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Dangerous Minds, Law-Abiding Citizens, Enemy of the State, many other films. Uh, I'm guessing many people have seen those films. And uh, so you'll recognize this. And so by his own admission, when he was asked to help make a movie about Medjugorje, a place he'd never been or heard of before and he knew nothing about, uh, he was more shocked than anyone when he instinctively said yes to the project. And this is reported from Spirit Daily, uh, this, uh, this, new, uh, this new film about Medjugorje. So uh, the question is, what will this film be about? I think there are many documentaries and books already out about the phenomena of Medjugorje. And, but I think this movie will address and depict two other big questions. 
what happens to people when they go to Medjugorje, and how does that experience change their lives and the lives of the people they encounter after that. And so I think uh, the specifics related to this film, at least according to this article, are not quite yet available. Uh, the script should be uh, underway and ready in the next 12 months, and maybe uh, filming will happen shortly thereafter that. And the expectation would be that this would be in theaters in the year 2025 or 2026. But uh, for fans of Medjugorje, or devotees of Medjugorje, I should say, uh, this is kind of an exciting project, so we'll keep you updated on the project of this new film about the phenomena of Medjugorje. Let's take a look at Catholic Club Trivia. We do this every week where we ask a trivia question and give out a prize uh, of the Miracle Hunter image of the faces of Mary to the winner, the fastest respondent. And uh, last week we talked about a new film with a Catholic theme, that being Cabrini, and uh, the question was, The Passion of the Christ was the highest grossing faith film in history. What was the second? And so The Passion of the Christ came in at $622 million in the box office. The next one, number two, was Heaven is for Real at $101.3 million. And after that, The Shack at $96.9 million. Those stats are coming to me through uh, Wikipedia. Thanks for everybody who responded to that question. And for this week, we're talking about Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii with church historian Dan Sheely. And the question for the day is, what is the only Marian shrine in the world dedicated to Our Lady of the Rosary with more annual visitors? Again, we're talking about the Marian shrine of Our Lady of the Rosary in Pompeii in Italy. And so the question is, what is the only Marian shrine in the world dedicated to Our Lady of the Rosary with more visitors annually? If you think you know that answer and want to win the prize, the image of the faces of Mary, send me an email to questions at miraclehunter.com and uh, maybe you'll be the one winning the prize. And answers and winners will be posted on the show page on miraclehunter.com. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be talking with Dennis Marin from the canonization cause for Venerable William Gagnon. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. Uh, People know on this show we love talking about saints and future saints at that and future American saints are those who have lived in the United States. And perhaps there are 24 uh, venerables and blesseds before they have their miracles and before they're declared saints. And uh, we have uh, in my book, They Might Be Saints, in my television show, They Might Be Saints, we feature these, uh, these people who have lived in the United States and who have modeled for us the life, a life of holiness. And there's one that many people have not heard the name of. His name is Venerable William Gagnon, and we might consider him to be a missionary of mercy in the Vietnam War. And uh, we're so excited today to welcome back to the program Dennis Moran. He's the uh, former vice postulator uh, for William Gagnon. So welcome back to the show, Dennis. Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you for offering me uh, the the opportunity of uh, talking about him. Now it's it's a great uh, he's a great uh, future saint to get to know, and I think that um, he uh, he grew up uh, and immigrated into uh, New Hampshire. Talk about his uh, early yeah. life, being uh, the third of twelve children, and, and the deep yes. faith that he showed from a young um, age. He has uh, some uh, Quebec roots. I mean, uh, his parents were. Uh, um were um franco americans uh that came to new hampshire uh to work uh, in the cotton uh, cotton mills and uh but the family uh he, he spent uh a part of his youth in uh new hampshire in dover new hampshire and also uh in the east of quebec and also in uh, barton um uh, Vermont. So um, is um, he, he was from a very modest uh, family, and um, he has to work with uh, his father and also with his uh, um, eldest uh, brother in the mills too. So, and he knew um, he, he was a. a, a a good worker, and uh, he, he knew uh, to work patiently uh, from uh, the down uh, to 
from sunrise to sunset. So, mm. yes. And in at the beginning of the 30s, he considered the possibility of uh, becoming a religious a brother. Uh, so he entered in uh, 1932 in the order of St. John of God. Uh, and what, what attracted him to uh, this order of the 16th century Spaniard? Uh, what, yeah. uh, what drew him to that? It's to take care. Uh, the aim of that, that order is to uh, relieve the suffering people, either poor or either sick uh, sick uh, person in hospital or in uh, refuge facilities. So he, he, he had the, the will to, to, to help people around him. And so the, chari- the, cha- the charity, the virtue of uh, charity was uh, always there in his art. Wonderful. And from what I understand, um, he, had, he had started uh, the, down that path to become, uh, become a, uh, a, enter religious life, but his uh, father was injured and he had to be called back home uh, to help yeah, out yeah, with yeah, his true, family. True, true. True. Uh, indeed, uh, he entered in uh, 1930. He did his postulate. His father uh, was injured, and he had to uh, to come back uh, at home to take care of the uh, of his uh, brother and sisters, and to work at the mill to to help the family. And uh, so, and when his father was better. Um, had uh, recovered, uh, he returned to uh, to Montreal to re-enter the order in uh, in uh, nineteen thirty-two. And how did what were the circumstances under which he ended up volunteering to go to to Vietnam? I know he had a lifelong okay. desire to uh, be a, a missionary. Uh, yeah, how did how did this true. all transpire? He, he, he was uh, happy to work in Montreal in the hospital, our uh, Lady of Mercy Hospital. But as a young man, he had the the dream to uh, to devote himself to uh, elsewhere. So it, it was a kind of of a dream, especially uh, in the. We we must remember that uh, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, there there were a lot of people from uh, the province of Quebec, and also from France or from Spain or from Ireland, who, who left their country to to do some missionary apostolate elsewhere. So for Brother William, he, he had that dream to to go elsewhere. And it seems that Providence uh, answered uh, pretty well because the provincial of uh, superior of in those days went to Rome, met a Vietnamese bishop who said, "Oh, I need, I would need some uh, male nurses in Vietnam, in North Vietnam, to take care of the refugees." So uh, it was decided that. Uh, uh, brother William would be sent with uh, two young uh, brothers over there to to realize uh, a mission. Amazing. We're talking today with uh, Dennis Moran, the former vice postulator for Venerable William Gagnon, who was declared Venerable in 2015, and blessed would be his next uh, path or stage in the path to sainthood. And when we talk about his uh, his time in the middle of this Indochina war. Um, he was right in the middle of it, right? I mean, grenades were yeah. going off, and uh, uh, yes. he was, he was, it was it was it was had to be a, a scary place to be uh, with, with being right in the middle of the war with bombs exploding, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes very close. Uh, talk a little yes. bit about uh, what uh, Brother William did uh, during those days. Yes, um, at the beginning of the mission, um, the brothers were uh, in the north of Vietnam. And uh, during the Indochina War, and uh, they started to uh, to have a house in Buichu uh, at uh, 100 kilometers from Hanoi, and and also they tried to open a house uh, at Hanoi, and 
in July, in July uh, 1954, around that, um, the communists uh, took the north part. So they had to, uh, the brothers had to um, to go south. So uh, and so they went south with uh, all the refugees. It seems that uh, it was about one million of uh, refugees uh, who flew from north to south Vietnam to escape the communist uh, invasion. So uh, with the help of the Redemptorist Fathers and also um, uh, with the help of the Catholic uh, services uh, directed by uh, Monsignor Arnett, they decided to establish uh, in uh, in 1956, uh, near um, near Saigon at uh, Hanoi, and uh, Hanoi in Vietnamese means uh, the Valley of the Deer, so it was in the jungle. Mm. So they they had to to cut trees and to to have uh, barracks uh, over there. So. Uh, to establish an hospital, and that uh, hospital is is still uh, um, works uh, today, and uh, it has been uh, recuperated by the state of Vietnam, but uh, it's still open over there. Amazing, and one of the things that stands out to me is the brothers there who served at the hospital, and otherwise they cared for everyone—the civilians, the soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. matter who they fought for, and uh, yes, they yes. they just helped everyone, and and especially uh, when we talk about uh, Brother William, uh, Brother William Ganyan, he he had to do so many things as a as a nurse, as a contractor, novice master, fundraiser, social worker. He had yeah. many things to do when he was there. Uh, and yes. take care, taking care of the sick was, was one of the major things. Talk yes. a little bit, please, about uh, how he ended up uh, dying. What, what, was, what was the end of the life of Father William, Brother William? Okay, uh, at the end of his life, he, was, uh, okay, he, he devoted himself in Vietnam for about uh, um, 17 uh, years. So he was kind of uh, exhausted overwhelmed by the work to be done and uh, he had some uh, art uh, problem so he had to to stay in bed for a few days and uh, finally he had a heart attack and uh, he died he passed away on uh, the 20 28th of february uh, 1972 and uh, so, uh, for himself, it was more uh, that um, he had always to relieve others, to pray. During the day, what, his schedule was, uh, during the day, he relieved people uh, as a nurse. And in the evening, he did some uh, uh, writing the correspondence doing uh, the, the accounting, and in the night, he, he went to the chapel to pray in, um, before the blessed uh, saint, uh, sacrament. So uh, he, has, uh, he had sorry, um, very, um, a, full, a full schedule. And uh, during, during his life, he had already a uh, reputation of, uh, sa- um, of sainthood. So uh, he was considered as a saint, even during his life. So uh, so when he passed away, um, there were uh, people, lay people from the area, brothers, uh, fathers, and sisters from various uh, congregations uh, who came... Uh, to um, to to be present at his uh, funeral. Amazing. He was uh, he was well loved for his great work and yes. And he, and, uh, and, and I went to to Vietnam in uh, 2012, and I went to his tomb uh, near the the hospital uh, in Onai uh, Bien Hoa near uh, Ho Chi Minh City. 
and people still go to pray at his tomb uh, every day around uh, 4 or 5 uh, a.m. before going to work. So it's, it's quite uh, moving to see that. Amazing. We've been talking today with Dennis Moran, the former vice postulator for Venerable William Gagnon, who was uh, declared venerable in the year 2015. And he's now in the second step to sainthood, going from servant of God to venerable. And with one miracle, he'll be declared blessed. A second miracle makes him a saint. And uh, as we wrap up the interview today, I'd like to ask, uh, have there been any favors or miracles being considered uh, locally or by Rome uh, that would move him along to that next level? Um, there, there are, there, there were, and there are some favors uh, obtained uh, in New England, in uh, Manitoba, in Saskatchewan, in Canada, and also in Vietnam. But uh, for Rome, uh, there's a need to to that uh, those favor would would be uh, documented. Um, a person can say, "Well, uh, I've been, uh, I've obtained a favor from uh, Brother William, but uh, it needs to be proved." So for now, uh, we need proofs. And uh, so far, um, the theologian in Rome um, studied uh, his positio. Uh, positio is a, a kind of a dossier in which. Uh, there is the inquiry um, and uh, the biography and uh, also a document about uh, how he, he lived uh, heroically uh, the Christian virtues. Uh, and so after that study, the Rome, the, I mean the Congregation for, for the Saints, uh, decided to... to um, to give him uh, the title of venerable, so it's kind of, of uh, it's like a, 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 a little bit like the uh, Olympic uh, Games. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, um, to receive the venerability uh, decree of venerability, it's like uh, um, receiving the bronze uh, medaille. <laughs> so, and, and there's a need for one miracle. To, to be declared blessed, and another one to be declared saint. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, all, we'll be praying uh, that he moves along the path to sainthood. Is there a website or another place that people can go uh, to learn more about Venerable William Gagnon or his canonization cause? Um, the people can go on, on, uh, online uh, to look for uh, Hospitaller Order of St. John of God. There's a, a website uh, um, prepared by the General Curia of the Order in Rome, and uh, that uh, website is uh, there's an English version of it. So, and there's a section about uh, about the saints, the blessed, and the venerable of the order. So, they, people can consult that website. Wonderful. Well, we're so grateful to you, Dennis Moran, the former vice postulator for Venerable William Gagnon, who's now a venerable. And uh, we'll pray that he moves along that path to sainthood, uh, to blessed and then to saint. Thank you so much, Dennis, for joining us on today's program. Thank you to you. God bless. That was Dennis Moran uh, talking to us about Venerable William Gagnon, one of the 24 venerables and blesseds from the United States uh, who may someday be saint. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at the question of the week. Stay with us for that. Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. Hey everyone, I love getting your questions. People write in from around the world with questions about miracles happening in today's world and those that have happened centuries ago. 
And I love getting questions in my email inbox, but I also like answering questions as part of a question and answer session uh, for a speaking engagement. So I usually speak about 20 times a year at parishes and shrines and uh, Catholic events, and uh, I speak for about 45 minutes, and then I open it up for questions. And those that can go between 15, 20, 30 minutes or more, hearing what people have to say, their questions about miracles. And I do my best to answer them. And I've been speaking a lot about Eucharistic miracles. That seems to be the primary topic that I'm speaking about uh, these days. I think uh, during this time of Eucharistic revival, parishes are looking for uh, content related to the Eucharist. And so Eucharistic miracles is a captivating topic. So if you're interested in having me speak at your parish, you can go to my website, miraclehunter.com, and click on the contact tab and send me a message. And maybe I'll be speaking in a city near you. And for this week's question, it's a good one, and it's one I've never gotten before, which are always fun ones for me, ones that I've never heard before. And this one is from Heather in New York. She says, Hello, Miracle Hunter. I'm looking to learn if St. Paul the Apostle ever appeared in any apparitions, private revelations, either church-investigated or church-approved. Was he at Einseldown, or has he appeared to any saints or otherwise? Thank you. It's from Heather in New York. So thank you, Heather, for your question. It's a great one. And I've studied apparitions of the Virgin Mary and saints for many, many years now, and uh, I've never heard of a single case of an apparition of St. Paul that's been investigated and approved by the church, uh, even one from uh, ancient times, perhaps, or earlier times uh, where we don't see the the full church investigation, but uh, there isn't any information at least uh, I can't find any, about uh, an apparition of St. Paul. And you asked about uh, Einseldon. It's a place in uh, Switzerland. And uh, in that case, uh, the Virgin Mary appeared, and she appeared to with a number of other saints, including uh, St. Michael the Archangel and uh, St. Peter, St. Conrad. Uh, there were others uh, who were uh, there according to that tradition. But uh, there was, uh, and we saw St. Peter, St. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, St. Gregory, St. Augustine, or Augustine, I'm sorry, and St. Ambrose. Uh, So um, there were quite a few saints at that uh, apparition in the year 934, uh, but uh, St. Paul wasn't amongst that group, at least according to the report. So thanks for your great question, Heather. And for more information on Einseldeln, you can go to my website, miraclehunter.com. But uh, fascinating, uh, we see this uh, apparitions of people like uh, Padre Pio many times throughout history, St. Joseph, for example, a few times, uh, but none of St. Paul. So great question. Thanks so much, Heather. And if you have a question for a Miracle Hunter, you can send me an email to questions at miraclehunter.com, and maybe I'll be answering your question on the air next week. Let's take a look at the 365 Days with Mary project. We do this every week where we look at the day's date and try to find somewhere in the world a Marian devotion that lines up exactly to that date. And uh, believe it or not, we all know Fatima, May 13th, or Lourdes, February 11th, or Guadalupe, December 12th, but there's a different Marian devotion that's uh, lining up to each and every day of the calendar year from somewhere in the world. And for today's date, March 2nd, we have the icon of the Mother of God, Tikvin from Mount Athos in Greece in the year 1877. The story goes that on March 2nd, 1877, or March 17th on the old calendar, seven monks remained in the church after their prayers. They were astonished to see tears flowing from the right eye of this icon and collecting on the frame. When a single large tear came from the left eye, the monks wiped the tears from the icon's face. Uh, They left the church and locked the doors behind them, and three hours later, they returned for vespers and saw traces of the tears on the icon and a single tear in the left eye. Again, they wiped the tears from the icon, but the tears did not reappear, and the monks reestablished an annual commemoration for March 2nd to celebrate the icon of the Mother of God, Tikvin, on Mount Athos in Greece. For more information on this fascinating devotion, or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions from around the world, you can go to 365dayswithmary.com. You can uh, join the Facebook page and join any of the 10,000 followers who get a daily title of Mary in their Facebook page, or you can download the free app from the Apple App Store called uh, 365 Days with Mary, Marian Calendar. 
Let's take a look at the Miracle of the Day. This is a new segment we've been doing on the Miracle Hunter show and uh, starting in 2024. And similar to some of the other uh, items we like to mention, we find something that lines up exactly to the calendar date. So uh, a miracle happening sometime in the history of the world. And for today's date, March 2nd, we have uh, an event which happened in the year 1933, which was the final vision of the Virgin of the Poor at Banu in Belgium. And uh, in that final vision, the Virgin Mary signed off saying, I am the mother of the Savior, mother of God. Pray much. Adieu. And Mariette Beko, the visionary, said, Undo until we meet in God. And uh, for those people who aren't familiar with this vision, we did an episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter on this. And the story is that in a garden behind the Beko's family cottage, the Blessed Mother is said to have appeared to Mary at Beko at the age of 11, eight different times. And she called herself the Virgin of the Poor. And Mary promised to intercede for the poor, the sick, and the suffering. And this was approved in the year 1942 by Bishop Kirchhoffs of Liege. And so this is one of the highly approved Marian apparitions in modern times. And so a fascinating one to line up for today's Miracle of the Day. Let's take a look at the They Might Be Saints segment of the show. We do this every week where we talk about They Might Be Saints, which lines up to my television series, They Might Be Saints, which airs on EWTN at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And we talk about Americans on the Path to Sainthood and the Search for Canonization Miracles. And so we always like to keep you up to date about who's coming down the pike in sainthood news. And so on, uh, at the end of last month, the Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, received an audience, his most reverend eminence, Cardinal Marcelo Semeraro, the prefect of the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. And during this audience, the Pope authorized the same Dicastery to promulgate a decree, uh, including one on uh, the heroic virtues of the servant of God, Sebastian Hili Vives, a diocesan priest, founder of the Congregation of the Augustinian Daughters of Help, and he was born on January 16, 1811, in Arta, in Spain, and he died in Palma de Mallorca, in Spain, on September 11, 1894. And again, he's a diocesan priest, founder of the Congregation for the Augustinian Daughters of Help, and he dedicated his priestly life in a particular way to the benefit of abandoned childhoods and to the attention towards children was added that for the sick, and he dedicated a lot of time to prayer, which he drew nourishment to do good. He cared about the condition of women in an era in which women were subject to much discrimination. And that is taken from the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints website, a description about uh, Sebastian Hili Vives, who is now a venerable. With one miracle, he will be known as Blessed Sebastian. And with a second miracle, he will be a saint. Let's take a look at the Might Be Saint of the Day. We do this every week where we talk about the person on the path to sainthood. That's a servant of God, venerable, blessed, who doesn't have all their miracles yet. Rome hasn't declared them a saint but whose uh, feast day or death anniversary lines up to the day's date. And we've got Blessed Geralimo Carmelo de Savoia, uh, also known as San Carmel, and his uh, feast day, his memorial is on today, March 2nd, and he was born to the nobility, a member of the family of the Dukes of Savoy. He was a soldier and he joined the Mercedarians in Barcelona, Spain in 1542, and he received visions of the Virgin Mary, to whom he was extremely devoted. And he wrote in defense of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And some accounts describe him as a bishop of Teruel in Spain, but that diocese had not been established during his lifetime. And so he died in Barcelona in the year 1558 on March 28th of natural causes. And that is the might-be saint of the day, Blessed Geralimo Carmelo de Savoia. With one more miracle, he will be declared a saint. And for those people looking to check out the television series, They Might Be Saints, which airs weekly on EWTN, this week on Wednesday, March 6th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time in its normal time slot, we've got They Might Be Saints, Blessed Solanus Casey. And Solanus Casey was known far and wide as the miracle-working capuchin from Detroit, and his beatification was attended by 60,000 people at Ford Field in the year 2017. I'll be examining his simple yet remarkable life, Yes, they might be Saints Blessed Solanus Casey this week on EWTN on March 6th on Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We need to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with church historian Dan Chile about Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii. Stay with us for that. 
Now, back to the Miracle Hunter on EWTN. Here's Michael O'Neill. Welcome back. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show on EWTN radio. This is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter. People who tune into my program explore with the Miracle Hunter on EWTN at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Saturdays. Uh, know that we've got a new season going right now. And the latest episode that's coming out tonight is Explore with the Miracle Hunter Pompeii. I'll be taking a trip to the famed ruins of Pompeii where I'll explore the life's work of Blessed Bartolo Longo. He started as a satanic priest and he ended up being the apostle of the rosary in the words of John Paul II at his beatification. So uh, check that one out. That'll be uh, tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, again, new new episodes of Explore with the Miracle Hunter are airing every Saturday uh, going forward here. So uh, we're excited. You know, most people might not know this incredible uh, future saint, Blessed Bartolo Longo. He, uh, he had quite a journey. And joining us today to talk about uh, this uh, future saint is Dan Chile, church historian. Welcome back to the program today, Dan. It's always good to be with you, Michael. It's great to have you back. And I think that um, some people, a lot of people don't know, you know, this, this incredible journey of Bartolo Longo, who ostensibly is one of the great promoters of the rosary in history, uh, but he wasn't so Catholic uh, at some point in his life. Talk about uh, sort of the, uh, <laughs> the, the road that, uh, that Bartolo traveled in his life. First of all, his history is pretty contemporary, and, and it's very contemporary, uh, uh, speaks to modern situations uh, like very few others. He only died in 1926, so his memory is still around there in Pompeii. There are still people around who actually knew him. And uh, he is kind of the patron of a lot of things. He's a patron against depression. He's a patron against Satanism. This guy came from a decent Catholic family. He went off to college in the midst of a period of great turmoil in Italy. And everything was in a great, great ferment. Uh, The... uh, Church and all tradition was regarded as being, uh, by the intelligentsia, as being something stupid and something out of touch. Uh, Bartolo Longo got very much involved with the kind of uh, what we would call today left-wing movements and also cults. And so what he got involved with was all sorts of kind of first spiritualist cults, you know, summoning up spirits and, you know, communicating with the world beyond through seances and that kind of thing. And it went downhill from there, actually. Where you could get the best experiences, people thought, was actually to join, um, like, little covens, little groups that would actually uh, invoke and worship Satan. And he got involved with both feet and both hands. Uh, he, it's interesting, if you see pictures of him during that period of time, He's got kind of a uh, almost a Rasputin like uh, appearance, the kind of beady yeah. eyes, the kind of the, uh, uh, diabolic type beard. You know, he he, you know, he patterned himself after the devil. Uh, he he, according to what he says, he became uh, inducted as a, a slave of Satan and a priest of Satan, and he was involved in bringing people away from the church and getting involved in everything and anything. Well. He started, even though he was a smart guy, successful in school, he uh, uh, he started to basically, to be blunt about it, go nuts. I mean, he got very, very depressed. He had promised his soul to the devil in this life and the next in exchange for, uh, you know, uh, personal success, and started uh, undertaking all sorts of fasts and different things to... Uh, uh, ingratiate himself with the devil. Finally, there, there was one professor who had made it uh, there, who had known the family a little bit. His name was Professor Pepe, who told him, he, hey, listen, you got to step out of this. He goes, well, I've already sold my soul to the devil. There's nothing I can do about it. I promised my soul in this life and the next. Well, this Professor Pepe really went above and beyond the call of duty and friendship. He got him matched up uh, to meet a very intelligent Dominican priest. Well, ultimately, he was able to return to the church thanks to Professor Pepe and this uh, and this Dominican priest. But he still was tortured by fear because he had promised his soul to the devil, and he kept hearing sort of voices telling him, "You're there's nothing you can do. I mean, you're you're gone. Uh, you belong to me. You're 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 my property, and I'll always get you." The priest recommended to uh, Longo that he uh, commit himself to the rosary, that the rosary is something that the devil fears, 
and that our the, uh, the devil never had one instant of power over the Blessed Virgin, and that's the one that would save him. And so Longo began to start praying the rosary, and it worked. It worked, uh, you know, uh, almost like a charm for him in the sense that uh, the depression subsided. Uh, you know, he uh, the uh, we, his uh, fears subsided. He uh, he felt uh, the rush of uh, fervor and enthusiasm, and of course, great gratitude to the Blessed Virgin for saving him from this. And he ended up uh, becoming a real apostle of the Rosary, and also. As someone who was interested in the plight of the poor, the people in the area of like uh, some of the areas of Naples were, you know, you talk about dirt poor. If there's anything below dirt poor, that's what they were. Totally ignorant about, even though it's Catholic country with, you know, churches all over the place and church bells and uh, feasts, but they didn't understand a thing. I, I mean, he, he asked uh, one of the people, in the, uh, he had a client that was a wealthy, he, was, he ended up becoming a lawyer. He had a client that was a, a wealthy countess. And uh, she had some property and uh, tenants, and he, he was just amazed by how what bad shape these people were in. And he mentioned to one of them, well, you know, uh, don't you believe in God? He said, well, I heard there was maybe three of them, but I, I heard that one of them died. That's <laughs> how ignorant they were. So he really felt that we got to set up systems to both help these people and give them the true faith, and make sure that they learn the catechism. Because if there's no catechism, there's no faith. They don't know what they believe. They start like, they, like me, he said, they start believing in anything. They start believing in whatever it might be, you know, uh, some pagan idol or, uh, or, or, you know, some witchcraft or, you know, other nonsense like that. So he, uh, with the actual help of this uh, very wealthy client that he had, a, a widow, uh, he he uh, really started uh, uh, conducting all sorts of uh, 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 catechetical and uh, help, uh, physical help for for people. And he wanted to build a shrine uh, in one of the churches there in, in the area of Pompeii. And Pompeii was not like it is today. I mean, Pompeii was basically sort of a an outland. Uh, you know, there were the, some ruins there; they hadn't been excavated all that well yet scientifically at all. They, they had to actually somewhat, but it was, it was pretty much uh, just a uh, uh, an unpoliced area. And uh, so as a result, the poorest of the poor lived there, and it was it was a pretty rough and dangerous place. But there was a church there, and he wanted to set up an altar honoring Our Lady of the Rosary, and uh, a nun that he had gotten in contact with. So I've got a perfect picture for this. I, 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 I've got a picture that you could use. And uh, the nun was so... Uh, Nice and so enthusiastic that Longo didn't want to refuse her. But uh, uh, the nun didn't have any money, but she had seen the picture in a secondhand store, old picture, and uh, they brought it over to Longo to install in a church. And the picture was pretty much a wreck. Uh, you know, it was uh, slopped up. It was filled with wormholes. Uh, it, they, they actually brought it in to Longo on a uh, garbage truck that was used for hauling manure. Right. So the tr- picture of Our Lady comes in in a, in, in a <laughs> the lowest kind of, of garbage truck. And, and, he, and Longo was originally embarrassed by it. But the nun kept telling him, look, look at, I mean, uh, uh, Jesus came into the world in a stable. I mean, I just know that, you know, since Jesus came into this world in poverty, this picture that's being rescued, you know, from poverty is going to be very miraculous. Our Lady is going to love this picture very much. It's a picture of Our Lady giving the rosary to St. Dominic on one side and St. Catherine on the other. Okay, So he set up, uh, he, he decided he was going to, the, with the money of this rich countess, he was going to set up a shrine in the area of Pompeii so the people could have it and it would be dedicated to the rosary. And once he did start this up, and we're talking, again, relatively contemporary times. We're talking about the 1880s uh, uh, now. The uh, All sorts of miracles began to be reported. It, what, the, what the nun said was true. It began to be somewhat of a phenomenon. And uh, uh, the uh, Pope was uh, all enthusiastic about it as well. He said, you know, this is a, you can't quarrel with the, uh, with the finger of God being at work here. I mean, the, some of the things that are happening are just, Amazing, and as as, as uh, uh, some of your listeners may know, it was one of those miracles that happened that was also associated with uh, the cure of a girl who was literally at death's door. Uh, That's right, Fortuna, Fortuna Agrelli is her name. Yes, it's right. 
uh, Our Lady actually appeared to her before she was cured, and Our Lady said, "I if you uh, say three novenas, where you say the rosary every day for uh, that day three times, so in other words, for 27 days, and then in gratitude for uh, what you're asking for, because I will grant it, another three days of novena, so this is a 54-day novena, uh, I will, uh, you know, I will honor, I, I will make sure that my son attends to those prayers. So it's called the uh, the infallible novena, or the uh, uh, unbreakable novena, and that began to be spreading like wildfire among the people. So ultimately, a, you know, a magnificent shrine was built, all raised by private funds. Now, have, you been, have you been to the shrine, Dan? Oh, yeah. I've been there a couple of times. It's very impressive. It's very. It's not really far. It's in what's called New Pompeii. It's not far, really, from where the uh, old Pompeii is, where the excavations and so forth are, where the tourists also go. But it is really, it, it stands out. It's got a, a gigantic bell tower that you can see and hear from uh, uh, far away. And, uh, you know, there's masses going on constantly over there. And it's... Uh, it's it's very very impressive place, and plus Longo really wanted a place to be both of a spiritual and personal help to people. So he uh, he set up orphanages there. He, uh, they, uh, they they still exist. Uh, he kind of ended up being sort of like a lay version of uh, in America our Father Flanagan, who started a, a home for uh, uh, you know, orphaned boys. Okay, the, the, the famous Boys Town. Well, uh, Longo. Uh, with the aid of uh, the count, Count Stefusco, uh, you know, uh, started uh, first a home for uh, uh, boys, then for boys whose fam- whose parents were in jail. So he was really looking for the down and outers, and then ultimately for uh, for girls too. And another thing about Longo, something interesting is he's also a good patron for people who are the victims of gossip, because uh, you know, unfortunately, and I'm half Italian. Uh, unfortunately, one of the national problems by people is that we uh, have a tendency to gossip. You know, we we always think that, uh, you know, if something is, if nothing is as it appears. You know, we're always skeptical. You know, hey, this is a country that gave, uh, the, from which the mafia arose, okay? Uh, so, uh, you know, we I tend to be skeptical about a lot of things. So uh, ugly rumors about uh, Largo started to become circulated. Basically, the, uh, his paisans started saying, hey, he and that countess have got something going. I mean, who's kidding who? I mean, he's a lawyer. He's a rich guy. He's with her all the time. There's funny business going on here. Okay. And, it, you know, it's got to be a real, real problem. Uh, and so, so much so that actually uh, Largo didn't know what to do because he, he was the victim of gossip. He uh, had done all this holy stuff, so had the countess. They went to talk with the Pope, okay, who was at the time Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and Leo the Thirteenth says, Hey, listen, I can solve the whole thing. And with great Italian realism, he said, Look, the Countess is a widow, you know, you're not married. Go get married. <laughs> you know, they don't want to have anything to gossip about. And so uh, uh so they did. So they had a you know a Josephite marriage. They had a celibate marriage, but at least you know, now there was nothing more to gossip about, apparently. But on the other hand, the gossip still started. Uh, yeah, creative uh, solution uh, to a problem there from the Pope. Uh, we're talking yeah. today with uh, Dan Chile, church historian, about Blessed Bartolo Longo and his incredible life and the journey from a satanic priest to married uh, uh, promoter of the rosary. An incredible journey uh, for Blessed Bartolo Longo, and it's uh, all tied in with Our Lady of Pompeii. People can watch this episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter Pompeii tonight at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, it's an incredible life. And I encourage people to check out that shrine. As you say, Dan, it is, for me anyway, it was one of the most beautiful churches I've ever uh, laid eyes on. I think it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it, it's beautiful on a lot of levels. Uh, there's a lot of side chapels there. It's uh, you know it's attached to uh, 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 kind of a different uh, retreat house, conference centers. Uh, it, the belfry is quite beautiful in, in itself. The, uh, you can hear the music of the bells all throughout the, the Valley of Pompeii there, and it's uh, um, there is a uh, you know I. I I didn't know really what to expect when I went to see it, uh, and, and I, I ended up being very, very impressed. The, the spiritual good that that place has done is is, is very remarkable. And again, uh, uh, later when it was 
beginning to thrive around the uh, turn of the century uh, in a very wonderful way. The gossip continued. They said, well, he's pocketing the money. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know who's kidding? You know, this is this is the biggest get rich quick scheme uh, that anybody's ever seen. And uh, so what Longo then did is uh, he uh, said, "Okay, I've, uh, I've given it all up, uh, everything I've got." And he did this actually in stages to stop the gossip. I've donated it all to the Holy See. I've donated it all to the Vatican. The Pope will be in charge of this. I get nothing. In fact, he even gave up his own personal bank accounts. It's nothing, as far as I'm concerned. Give me a salary, you know, whatever you think is just and publicly known, and uh, then, uh, you know, I'll do, you know, what I want Our Lady to be honored. That's the only reason why I'm doing this. Our Lady saved my life. Our Lady saved my soul through Christ, because bringing me back to the safety is bringing you back to her son. She will do the same to you and anyone else. It's Our Lady that has to be honored. That's what this is all about. I'm going. I'm trying to help the poor because Our Lady wants me to do that. And he really was a great apostle of the love and power and effectiveness of the Blessed Virgin, so much so that, of course, the greatest Marian devotee in our lifetime, St. John Paul, really wanted to see Bartolo Longo raised to the altars of the Church. So uh, St. John Paul beatified Longo uh, in 1980, two years, within, within two years after he became Pope, and actually visited the shrine himself to uh, promote the power of Our Lady's effectiveness in bringing souls to a deep, personal, warm, and loving relationship with Christ, her son. And uh, it, it's, uh, it, it really is a wonderful shrine. It, it, it's, it's wonderful to see. Uh, it sort of is an oasis in a, in a world uh, that seems to be often uh, going the way of Portello Longo before he got his conversion. Uh, our Lady really is uh, the star of the sea, the one that guides our, our ships in a, in a, on a dark ocean. To, to the port of safety. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful reflections today from Dan Cheely, church historian, about Our Lady of Pompeii and uh, Blessed Bartolo Longo. Incredible story. We encourage people to tune in tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time to uh, explore with the Miracle Hunter as I travel to Pompeii and tell some of this uh, great, uh, great backstory to Blessed Bartolo Longo. Thank you so much, Dan Cheely, for joining us on today's program. Always good to be with you, Michael. Keep up the good work. And that's all the time we have for today's show. If you missed any of this episode or want to catch up on past episodes, you can go to EWTN.com radio, check out the audio archives, or download the free EWTN app. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dennis Marin, talking to us about Venerable William Gagnon and church historian Dan Cheely for that breakdown of Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii. Check out a brand new episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter, La Salette. That's this Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Explore with the Miracle Hunter, La Salette. That's one of the most highly approved Marian apparitions in history with some incredible prophecies and predictions. Check that one out. Explore with the Miracle Hunter, La Salette, on Saturday. And I'd like to thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where from claims of healings and visions to the world's most inexplicable events, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, the truth is always worth a hunt. Talk to you next week.